This is audible. <laughs> <laughs> this is audible. This is audible. Oh, that's good. This is audible. I think they're all winners. Too many butlers. A butler verse mystery. Prologue. The heart stops. Bones crunch. The body, which used to be J. Herringbone Tweedy, crumples to the floor. It sprawls across the garish patterns of a rich Persian rug on the floor of the library. The torso is wrapped in a towel. The lower half is ensconced in a pair of orange board shorts. Before he died and subsequently crumpled, J. Herringbone Tweedy had been holding a large leather-bound ledger with brass corners. It tumbles to the floor. A small rectangle of cream-colored paper slips out from the binding and flutters to rest behind a bookcase. The ledger flaps open. Splayed on the rug beside the corpse, its pages turn lazily in the breeze from the AC vent. Small, neatly written symbols march up and down the pages, which gradually settle to a stillness. On the floor below, the telephone jangles. An upright figure in a severe black coat materializes from a back room, grasps it, picks it up. Mr. Tweedy's residence, she says. She pauses, listens, and then speaks again. Yes, of course, Mr. Winston. She stops abruptly. Certainly, Mr. Winston, certainly. Her tone has changed to soothe her interlocutor. He did, however, ask not to be disturbed. She listens again. Very well, sir. I will inform him of your impending arrival. After another moment, she replaces the receiver. Instead of turning up towards the stairs, she calls low into the room where she had been. Jersey. Her voice does not request. It summons. A bald young man with incongruously large muscles emerges a moment later. He's light on his feet, but cannot yet materialize with the ease that his black-coated summoner just demonstrated. He smiles briefly at her. A learning opportunity, Jersey. Mr. Winston just called. He asked me to put him through to Mr. Tweedy, speaking disrespectfully and perhaps under the influence of controlled substances. I informed him that Mr. Tweedy refuses to be disturbed. He then informed me, using more strong language, that he would visit Mr. Tweedy this afternoon. In this situation, how would you proceed, knowing the strength of Mr. Tweedy's desire for privacy and the equal fervor of Mr. Winston's whims? The bald young man, Jersey, smiles again. He opens his mouth, closes it, and then speaks slowly. Well, I'd like to cuss the little punk out, but that would be, what's the void? Indecorative. Indecorous. She winces. So I'd probably just say then, okay, Mr. Tweedy, I'll tell him you're coming. Then go upstairs and slip a note under the boss's door. Let him deal with his coked up kid. She closes her eyes briefly and then settles them squarely on Jersey. Your instincts are correct, but your diction is faulty. First, he is Mr. Winston. We only call the patriarch Mr. Tweedy. Second, we confirm with very well, not <clears throat> okay then. Last, and most importantly, what rule have we for contractions? Jersey rolls his eyes and recites like a lesson learned by rote. Contractions belong in birthing rooms, not the butler's lexicon. Very good. These may not be written in the charter of the international order, but they remain binding. Shadow rules, you might say. 
You may return to cataloging the wine cellar. Remember not to jostle the port. The black-coated figure turns to face the stairs. She breathes deeply, her lined face settling into a bland, non-committal expression. She murmurs something to herself, squares her shoulders, and walks deliberately upstairs toward the library, where the corpse of J. Herringbone Tweedy has cooled and begun to stiffen. Despite my best efforts, I did jostle the port. Maybe Carruthers won't notice, I told myself. But I knew she would. She see that dust on the bottles had been disturbed, but tracked my fingerprints or something. Nothing got past that woman. She wouldn't be too harsh. She never was. But she pointed out my error. And then she'd explain, with painful insight, why I made an error. In this case... Your obsession with musculature will be your undoing, Jersey. She said... I hope she's wrong. I like my bulging pecs and delts, but I like being a butler more. The rest of the cellar catalog took a while, maybe a half hour. I was polishing the silver teapots in the pantry when I heard her coming back down the stairs. Then the sound of the front door creaking open and the stumbling steps on Mr. Tweedy. No, sorry, Mr. Winston. Tweedy's kid. I'm not one for amateur detecting and listening for unique gates and so forth, but Winston Wathrop Tweedy had a very particular way of walking. He sort of slams himself around into things. Always seems like he's about to kick a side table over. Mr. Winston is a stomper. <laughs> Remember in the phone call, I moved towards the hall and stood where I could hear, but not be seen. Part of my curiosity was academic. How could Carruthers deal with her boss's kid? More though, I had the gawker's urge. I wanted to see how it would go down. The stumbling footsteps stopped, presumably in front of Carruthers, and I heard the fidgety sort of tap dance that Mr. Winston does when he's trying to stand still. Then Winston spoke. We could do a setup jingle. Mad lips! Yes, yes, you need a sound effect. <laughs> Mad, Mad lips section! Now listen up to me, you... Man of men? I've just come from Japelson's and I was eating a nice big... Five Guys Cheeseburger. Covered with... Raw onions. The... No ketchup. Kind. The tasty kind. And I was eating it, and I was thinking about my daddy, and how he always want, used to... Stroke. And that I had to pay. And wouldn't you know it, my card was declined. And they said to me, Sir, do you have any other form of payment on you? There's an ATM just over next to the... Booth. And then I said to them, no, I do not. Do you know who I am? My father has been dizzy for over 40 years. And they said, well, that's all very well, sir, but you need to pay. And if you can't pay, we'll ask you for your pearl necklace as collateral. And I said, fine, take it. I'll go ask my daddy why my card got declined. And then they said, when this happens, it's usually because... I was asked. And I said, that's nonsense. That would never happen to me. Now you have your collateral. Let me leave in peace, you. Man of men. So they did. And now I'm here to ask my daddy why my card isn't working. If you don't get out of my way, you old bat, I'll take my... Pearl necklace. And I'll... Slap you. You with it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really stupid. Very well, Mr. Winston. I heard Carruthers say. She spoke with no obvious tone, but I knew her. She was tense about something, probably about Mr. Winston, who could give the Dalai Lama anxiety. Mr. Winston's tap dancy footsteps faded in the stairs. Carruthers came back into the pantry, where I was busily polishing the teapot. You heard, of course. 
Couldn't really help it, could I? Anyway, you like me listening in so I can learn how to talk good. Her forehead creased in disapproval. Deliberate malapropism does not fit you, Jersey, even for comedic effect, especially for comedic effect. She added as an afterthought. Malapropism? Use your context clues, Jersey. She hung up her apron. I polished in silence for a while. She looked over a menu for, I think, a soiree to be held the following month. Her pencil made minute. Complicated marks in the margins. Faintly and far away, I could hear Mr. Winston upstairs clattering. Finally, she looked down at me. Her eyes had a kindly light. Unexpected, but certainly welcome. She seemed to be trying to say something. Stopping and starting. And had finally gotten as far as... You will, it seems, one day be called upon in the course of time to... When the swinging door to the pantry slammed open, a man with a round face and a woman with a narrow face stood there. And behind them was the cloud of frantic energy named Winston Winthrop Tweedy. Mrs. Carnations, said one of the strangers and waved a detective's badge. That's her, rasped Mr. Winston. I never married, Carruthers replied placidly. You need not bother with an honorific. I am Carruthers. How may I assist you, officer? Wonder if you come down to the station with us for a bit, said the round-faced cop. His face was in fact the roundest I had ever seen. We'd like to ask you some questions about your employer. I stood up fast, but Carruthers was faster. Certainly, officer, she said. The calmness in her voice pinned me where I stood. May I give my apprentice instructions for the afternoon? A strange thing happened then. The two cops turned and looked at Mr. Winston, who was teetering on the edge of his feet. He shrugged two or three times and then turned back to Carruthers. Fine, said Roundface. But be quick about it. Carruthers turned to me. She looked me in the eye, holding my attention. In my absence, please carry out my usual routine for afternoon inspections and pay particular attention to the end of the month scrutiny. I am relying on you. Let's go, Mrs. Carruthers, said Roundface, and they all left. As my dear departed dad used to say, loudly and to anyone who would listen, nobody ever mistook little Jeff for an intellectual. I know what I do know. And here's a list. Count them with me. Number one, growing muscles so big they're basically useless. Number two, polishing silver until it glows. Carruthers never did admit it, but I'm a better silver hand than she ever was. Number three, the seven fastest routes from the Tweedy Mansion which is in downtown Dallas, to the nearest five-star barbecue joint. Number four, cracking my knuckles in that particular way that's both disgusting and threatening. Number five, detecting the smells of spoiled milk, rancid cheese, and other unpleasant odors of dairy. There are probably other things I know, but these are the ones that come to mind. As I stood in the pantry, the swinging door still continued to swing. I rubbed my head. Sometimes feeling the smoothness of my scalp helped me think. I know what I do know. But in that moment, I did not know what Carruthers wanted me to know. She had told me to do her usual afternoon sweep. Fine. That was a thorough, eagle-eyed stroll through the social areas of the house library. Great room, veranda, formal dining room, ballroom, 
and all three living rooms, making sure there wasn't any hornets or raccoons or water damage or malfunctioning televisions, and so on. Then, the end of the month sweep just involved a thorough cleaning of all the ashtrays scattered around. Mr. Tweedy smoked intermittently. We dumped his ashtrays every day, but each month Carruthers disinfected and polished them. But why were these rituals so important that she should task me with them? I had my skills, and household administration was not yet one of them. Did she think she wouldn't be back tonight? I didn't like that possibility. Was she in trouble? Not Carruthers. She was a, what's it? A paragon of virtue. (laughs) 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 To take my mind off of it. And since I obey Carruthers from a force of habit, I took her keys from the hook behind the aprons in the pantry and made the rounds. There was nothing much to see. This deep into summer, the windows were all shut up so the AC could run. No bugs. No varmints. No light bulb replacements needed. I swabbed out some ashtrays. The hinges to the ballroom door had gotten a bit squeaky, so I made a mental note to put some graphite on them. Then I stopped and made an actual note in my butler's notebook. The embarrassing pad that Carruthers insisted I carry with me. Everywhere, at all times, in your breast pocket where the outline cannot show. She didn't need a butler's notebook, of course. I finished the main floor. For the upstairs, I only took it Mr. Tweedy's big library. Normally, I'd never be allowed in. Carruthers had called it the Sanctum Secorum, which reminded me vaguely of the name of an old congresswoman from the East Coast. My home. (laughs) (laughs) Where where I'm from. Then she had said, In other words, Mr. Tweedy allows no one but myself and his guests to enter. But here I was, entering. The door was locked. It was a big, solid door. The kind that seems, or maybe is, wider than a normal door. And it opened with a special key. The only one of its kind on Carruthers' key ring. The green light flashed. The lock clicked, and the door swung wide open. The hinges on the one seemed wonky, too. The top one fell a bit loose. I took out my butler's notebook and made another note. I didn't see his body at first. I had started at the end table by the couches, which were near the door. I swabbed out the ashtray there, then walked to the desk. On my way, I accidentally kicked something that rang and slid across the Persian rug. I was an oddly shaped tube of silvery metal, bent in a way that seemed somehow familiar? I tucked it in my pocket. I'd look at it closer downstairs if it wasn't one of Mr. Tweedy's antique bits. He had a lot of small, worthless-looking antique things. I had learned not to throw particular items away without first consulting Carruthers. Over at the desk, I had picked up another ashtray, sniffing curiously, as I do. I know what I do know. And one of those things I know is when something smells out of place. There was something about this cigar ash which was arresting. It was pungent and sad and wrong. It almost smelled like marijuana, but not quite. It was Shappa. There was a pile of books on the desk, selected seemingly at random. I glanced at the covers as I straightened them. Something Happened by Joseph Heller. Nicholas Sparks, The Choice. An Ian Fleming novel. Maybe Live and Let Die. But the cover design was needlessly ornate, and I couldn't quite make out what it said. A massive anthology titled 1959. The best of the year's big city books and others. I shuffled them into a neat stack. And then, I forgot all about the books and the smell in an instant. A pale, dead ankle poked out from behind the desk. I saw scrawny, hairy, dead legs all tangled up in each other. I saw his bright board shorts and a crumpled towel. My boss was wholly, completely, and extremely dead. And judging by the delighted look on his face, 
He was enjoying every moment of it. My circuit of the house had taken some time. Carruthers had been gone for more than three hours by the time I tumbled down the stairs and towards the telephone. I was just grasping the receiver when she appeared in the door from the pantry. No need for that, Jersey, she said. The authorities are already en route. Wait, why Why are you back? Detectives Klopp and Pritchard permitted me to return. I forestalled their curiosity regarding Mr. Tweedy. Then I called in an anonymous tip when I got back here. To the cops? I was completely confused. But what will that... Why? I respect your work ethic and your eye for detail, Jersey, said Carruthers. I may even come to appreciate your skill as a butler someday. But I am not your friend. Indeed, I am under no obligation to explain myself to you. A man has died, and the police, not I and not you, are the best ones to determine how it happened. She knew something, of course. Tweedy. I said, Tweedy, our boss is up there dead. Was it Winston? What do you know about it? Carruthers closed her eyes momentarily. When she opened them, her gaze hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, Jersey, you have a duty to this household and to Mr. Winston, unpleasant though you may find him. In my absence, you will confine yourself to your duties. You will catalogue the wine without jostling the port. You will conduct inspections of the premises. You will answer the telephone promptly and humbly. You will tend to menus, to the shopping when necessary, to the myriad little duties that devolve upon the solitary butler. You will read in your pantry while sipping a glass of brandy. Do not forget, when I am gone, you are the butler. She came closer, her voice harder, her gaze heavier than ever. You are not, however, a policeman, a detective, a private eye, or a dick. Leave the detection to the Homburg-hatted and the gumshoed. The International Order of Honorable Butlers has sworn you into its ranks as an apprentice. By the authority vested in me, I am prepared to elevate you to the rank of junior or journeyman butler this very day, this very hour. But only if you quell your curiosity, stop detecting, and for God's sake, buttle. I looked at her for a while, then I shrugged. Okay, I said. I mean, very well. I'll buttle so well they stop calling me butler. And stop calling me Butlest. <laughs> is mandated in the Charter of the International Order of Honorable Butlers. The ceremony of elevation to butlerdom is very private. I've been told that I can't describe it in these pages. When it was over, though, I was tidying the gasoline, the razors, and the leafy gritty blend of cabbage and sand. I felt different. I was no longer JV. I had been called up to the university squad. Brilliant fantasies of dinner party triumphs. Silver salvers, polished to a mere sheen. AC repairmen fearing my anger, even, someday, 
That weasel Winston Winthrop Treaty coming to his senses and apologizing for being such an everlasting dweeb. These and more flitted through my head. The future was, in a word, rosy. The roses withered at the instant peal of the doorbell. Squaring my shoulders, I walked carefully and deliberately to the front door and swung it wide. The detectives were back, as Carruthers had said they'd be. Sir, madam, I began, using my smoothest tone. Then Roundface interrupted me. Good afternoon, sir. You're Jersey, aren't you? Mrs. Carruthers said you were fuzzy. Fuzzy? That's that. That is me. That's I, sir. I said, "Don't let Carruthers hear you call her Mrs." One time, she wept on the shoulder of a an exterminator. <laughs> Good one, Joe. <laughs> Can we come in, Mister Jersey? Said Roundface, sounding like he had swallowed a cockerel. We <laughs> have probable cause to believe that someone has fallen on top of your employer. I kept my face straight, but my eyeball twitched. My goodness gracious, sir, I said. Please do come in. If you don't mind, please remove your pants (laughs) when you enter. Mr. Tweedy had his little idiosyncrasies. The detectives entered, ambling loudly. They looked around. I could see their eyes lingering on the Doric columns (laughs) and the painting of Mr. Tweedy's majestic golden retriever on the wall. Mind if we look around, sir? Of course, I said. And then I opened my big mouth and put my foot in it. I think you'll find Mr. Tweedy's in the library. The detectives looked at each other, wiggling their fingernails, and went upstairs. As soon as they had turned off the landing, headed out of sight down the hall towards the library, I scraped back to the pantry. I didn't know what to think. Carruthers knew something. But she had called the cops, and she had told me they should do their job. I had to go with what she told me. I had to follow her lead. As I swung open the door to the pantry, I was opening my mouth to ask her something. I don't know what, but three things arrested my attention. First, an indistinct shout from upstairs. Second, the complete and total absence of the Carruthers from the pantry. And third, a carefully written note on the sideboard. In bold black letters, it read, Do not follow. Do your duty. Destroy this note. Carruthers, it seemed, had done a bunk. The doorbell pealed. The sound made you think of fancy people. A mellow, far-off chime that sounded like an actual bell. Maybe it was. I'd never ask her others. I wouldn't have a chance now. Where could she have gone? More importantly, why? The second time it pealed, the sound of the doorbell seemed a bit less polished. Rather more jarring. I left the butler's pantry and found Mr. Winston standing in the hall, shifting back and forth on his tippy toes. He jumped when he saw me. Aren't you going to answer the door? He asked. It's been ringing off the hook. I shut my mouth hard before I could snap back at him. Carruthers shadow rules. Very well, Mr. Winston. I swung the door wide at the same moment as detective footsteps clattered onto the upstairs landing. There was a woman on the doorstep, a stranger. She was wearing, impossibly, the insignia of the International Order of Honorable Butlers. The familiar tiny crossed silver corkscrews on the background of a stylized silver slava. She stuck a hand out, then her eyes rested on something over my shoulder. Behind me, the voice of the other detective, 
The woman with the narrow face. He's dead, Mr. Winston. You were right. Hey, you, Valet. Butlers cherish few grudges and are seldom offended. But the epithet of Valet is impossible to bear. I stiffly motioned to the woman at the door to wait and turned to face the detective. I beg your pardon, officer, but I am in fact a butler. She ignored me. Where is the other one, Mrs. Uh, Carnations? It took me a moment to realize who she was talking about. I'm not aware of Carruthers' whereabouts, I said. I paused, too briefly for her to interject, but long enough that I could move on. If that will be all, officer. Then I turned back to the woman on the doorstep. She stuck out her hand again, pointing to her insignia. Is this a bad time? <laughs> she murmured. <laughs> By no means, madam. Please, step into the pantry. The Charter of the International Order says that no butler, once elevated, may be denied the shelter or sucker of a butler's pantry, except in cases of an interdimensional warfare or nuclear holocaust. She followed me halfway across the hall, where Mr. Winston stuck out his arm and grabbed her shoulder. Who are you? He asked. At the same moment, the detective on the landing barked. Active crime scene. Get her out of here. Another Charter rule. A butler must always protect the fellow butlers from harm and misuse. That is my apprentice, I told the detective. And then turning to Mr. Winston, surely you must have seen her around. At the same time, the woman turned a dazzling white-toothed smile on Mr. Winston. He staggered a bit and said, Oh, yes, well, perhaps, maybe. And let her go of her shoulder. The detective on the landing scowled. Her narrow face was all tangled up. Oh, whatever. She said after a long pause. Well, we're going to need to talk to her. To both of you, this is going to be a whole thing. Don't go anywhere. Then she clattered back down the hallway towards the library. I motioned with my head and my new apprentice followed me into the pantry. As soon as the door swung shut, she had her insignia off. I ran my thumb across the tiny silver salver backing. There were the familiar dots and dashes, almost imperceptible, that marked the pin as legitimate. Who are you? I asked. My name is McIvers. She said, my first name is Immaterial. Strange name for a butler. She was exasperated. No, I meant, let it go. Blanchkin. My name is Blanchkin McIvers, and I had no say in the matter, and now we can move on. I would not have chosen the apprentice cover story, but I suppose it will have to do. You are? Jeeves. McIvers stared. You must be joking. She said at last. Nope, sorry. I grimaced. Jeffrey Jeeves. Dad called me Jeff. Carruthers, I was her apprentice before. Carruthers called me Jersey because she thought it was too on the nose for a butler to be named Jeeves. Something new every day, said McAlvers. She had recovered an air of brisk competence. I believe I'll call you Jeffrey. Couldn't you call me Triple J? I could not, she said. <laughs> Moving on, what did you see in the library? Her question caught me off guard. Uh, I was where... Wait, what do you want me to know? Carruthers made contact before she left. I'm on the drinkware standards cabinet, so she alerted me to some potential irregularities. This didn't help much. That doesn't help much, I told her. Are you some kind of buttling detective? I'm an inspector of hotware, drinkware, and the assorted guzzling utensils. I inspect. I do not detect. And now, on to business, she said. She took out a small notepad, just like the butler's notepad that I carried but with a limp leather cover stamped with a silver insignia of the international order. Tell me everything you witnessed this afternoon. No detail is too small. Everything took a long time, but I patiently talked through the telephone call from Mr. Winston. 
Carruthers going upstairs, the confrontation with Mr. Winston in the hall. I told McAlvers about the detective's unexpected appearance. Described Carruthers' odd insistence that I take care of her chores. Then I got to the tricky part. The charter mandates that no butler, once elevated, may willingly deceive, hoodwink, inveigle, or otherwise dupe another butler unless with the express written consent of the international order. I didn't want to tell McAlvers that I had seen Tweety dead, but I didn't really have a choice. So, slowly and clearly, I told her about her entry into the room. The loose hinge, the ashtrays, the fluted tube on the carpet. Do you have it? She asked quickly. It was the first energy she had shown. I did, in fact, and pulled it out of my pocket. It was still wrapped in a handkerchief. Clever boy, she said. I scowled at her snootiness, but I went on. She asked me to describe the strange smell in the ashtray. I did it as best as I could. She asked for details about Mr. Tweedy's strange clothing and shook her head at the particular smile on his face. Then, I said, I got out of there. One moment, Jeffrey, said McAlvis. Did you happen to see a book near his body? Big thing with leather covers and spine? Maybe some brass on it. There were some books on the desk, but nothing like that. McAlvis leaned forward again. Which books? I don't quite recall, I said. I think a James Bond novel and a book by the fellow who wrote Catch-22 in a romance novel. Nicholas Sparks? McAlvis was almost licking her lips with eagerness. Joseph Heller, Nicholas Sparks, Ian Fleming? Was there anything else? Some anthology. Big books about cities, something like that. Her eyes gleamed. Big city books. Of course. I have my direction. If the forgers are here, I'll hunt them down and hail them before Butler Chancery. Now, you'll need to maintain my cover story. Don't let me down. I stared at her. I felt completely at loose ends. No idea what she was talking about. Who the forgers were? What Butler Chancellery could possibly be? We heard the detectives barking at each other upstairs. It's through that green door. Opposite the dining room. And then the descending footsteps of Roundface. I turned to McAlva's, almost desperate for some sense amid the confusion. Why those books? What forgers? What does this mean? She smiled at me. It was a condescending smile, but a kind one nonetheless. You have much to learn, Jeffrey. I'm beginning to think that you don't really know literature. The door swung open. Mr. Jersey, there you are, said Roundface. I'm arresting you as an accessory to the murder of Mr. J. Herringbone Tweedy, Esquire. Esquire.